Uh, tonight we're reading in John chapter 4. Tonight we'll finish that chapter, starting in verse 43 this week, and it will go to the end of the chapter, end of chapter 4. And we get to see what is Jesus' second sign, so I'm excited to share it tonight. Um, though, if you look at the core of the passage, in some ways it's really a tragedy. There's a miracle for this man, for his family, but there's also a real tragedy for Jesus. Anyway, starting in verse 43, here's the passage we'll be reading tonight. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee, Jesus. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household this is, again, a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Mm. So like I told you, um, there's a real tragedy for Jesus, even amongst this miracle that he does to save this man's son. Jesus is continuing the journey. He started all the way back in verse 3 of this chapter, right? Remember, what happens is it says the Pharisees heard that Jesus was becoming even more popular than John. And so Jesus retreats from Judea back to Galilee. And of course, the big interlude, he stops in Samaria, which we spent two weeks on, right? And Jesus stops in Samaria. And in the way through Samaria, he speaks with the woman at the well. And it ends up that this woman believes he's the Messiah and even convinces her town to come out and meet him. And they themselves believe that in verse 42 it says that he is the savior of the world. So all of this great belief comes out of Samaria. And remember, there's that hatred between Samaria and the Jews. And there's this unqualified success for Jesus. This whole Samaritan town comes to him in faith and believes in him. And that looms large over what's happening in this passage because it starts here. In verse 43, after the two days, what's the two days he spent in Samaria with them, right? The two days he spent with them in Samaria, he went forth from there back into Galilee, his hometown, right? Galilee is where Jesus was from. He grew up in Nazareth, which is in Galilee. 
And it says, For Jesus testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. What does that mean? What does that mean? A prophet has no honor in his own country. Well, there's a lot of interpretations of what this is saying. There's a lot of interpretations of what this is saying. The first and probably the most common is that Jesus is identified his home country as Judea, right? He was born in Bethlehem, and he recognizes himself as kind of obviously the, the uh, Jew, the, the, the singular Jew, right? The, the true Israelite is Jesus. And so he's in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem rejects him. And so now what, what some scholars say is that, well, okay, he's been rejected in Judea, and he comes to Galilee, and they receive him, it says. They receive him. And so Galilee really responds better than Judea, and there's this polarization between what happens in Jerusalem and Judea and what happens in Galilee. The problem is, is what I see in the text, the problem is, is that Jesus seems to be just as rejected in Galilee as he is in Judea. And the other problem, of course, is that Jesus is connected to Galilee even more than Jerusalem, right? Even though he was born in Bethlehem, he was raised in Nazareth. In fact, in the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when this verse comes up, a prophet has no honor in his hometown, they're all referring to Jesus' rejection in Nazareth, that his own hometown doesn't believe in him. Remember, they say things like, don't we know his mother and father? Isn't he the carpenter's son? We know where this man comes from, right? That's their rejection of Jesus. And so John would be using it in a completely different way than Matthew, Mark, and Luke used this phrase if he was talking about Judea versus Galilee. What I think he's saying, I think the most convincing position is that, remember what just happened in Samaria, Remember what just happened in Samaria. Jesus has this wonderful success, and he doesn't even do a sign for the Samaritans, and yet they believe. They come to faith in Jesus without any miracle. And Jesus, is they realize he's their Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. I think the prophet having no honor in his own country shows the difference between how the Jews as a whole responded to Jesus, and how other groups, like the Samaritans, responded to him. So then the question is, what does it mean that the Galileans received him? It says the Galileans welcomed him. Well, John is kind of a poet, and as we've seen throughout everything we've studied so far in the book of John, he kind of uses irony and plays on words and, and, and uses all of these techniques in his writing and I think it's an ironic welcome, right? Yes, the Galileans, they welcomed him, right? The same way that we welcome someone when you're hostile or passive-aggressive, right? And I think, it's, I think it's shown in the way that Jesus responds to this man. Remember, I just read it, but I'll, I'll get back to it again. But remember what Jesus says to him. He says, come and heal my son. And what is Jesus' response? It's not, let me come. I believe you have faith. It's, unless you people see signs, you simply will not believe. And if you go through the gospel, what happens next? In John 5, he's back in Jerusalem. How do they respond to him? Well, 
they start seeking him out to persecute him, it says in John 5, right? After he heals the lame man. And he starts having these confrontations with the Pharisees. And then John 6, what happens there? He's back in Galilee again, a second time. And he feeds the 5,000 in Galilee. And then what does he say to them when they seek him out? He says, you sought me out not because you wanted to see a sign, but because your stomachs were filled. That's what you were looking for, not for your Messiah, but to eat. See, the response is overwhelmingly negative to Jesus amongst the Jews. And I think that heading of what is said, that a prophet has no honor in his own country, that's talking about the overwhelming response of the Jews to Jesus. And especially against what we just read in Samaria, where Jesus is completely successful in his evangelistic efforts in Samaria. And now the Jews are so antithetical to Jesus. They're so, they have so much uh, just hostility to him. Remember John 1.11, okay? That's if you have the notes in here. I said, remember, it's John 1.11. What does John 1.11 say? This is the prologue of the whole gospel. It says, Jesus came to his own, right? His own people, but his own would not receive him. His own would not receive him. This plays on that, right? Oh yeah, they received him, all right. They received him. How did they receive him? With hostility. The story goes on. Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. What's a royal official? Well, we can almost guarantee that this man didn't work for Caesar because he's in Galilee, right? It'd be pretty rare as a royal official that he'd be working for Caesar from Capernaum. So the most likely royal that he would work for would be King Herod, right? King Herod, who was referred to as a king, even though the emperor was obviously over him. And in this area, that would be Herod Antipas, this is his name, one of the sons of Herod the Great, remember, who persecuted um, uh, the, the babies, remember, in Jesus when he was born. He, he killed all the, the babies, male babies, two years and under, it says. That's Herod the Great. And so this is now his son, Herod Antipas. And so this man probably was a Jew who worked for Herod. I don't know if you sense the irony of that. You may not know the history. Um, Herod was king of the Jews. He was referred to as king of the Jews. And the Jews hated him. Why did they hate him? Because he wasn't Jewish. It says Herod was an Idumean. Idumean is the vernacular from the first century of an Edomite. Right? He was their brethren, the same way Jacob and Esau were brothers, and yet Edom hated the people of Israel. And somehow, through the design of, of God, and, and obviously, also I would say, um, you know, just the way these events worked out, an Idumean became king of the Jews, an Edomite. And the Jews resented that, and they hated King Herod, because he wasn't a Jew. And he was referred to as king of the Jews. And that always plays in the background when you hear about Herod. Remember, he's not even a Jew. And now you've got probably a Jew working for Herod. Right? Remember how they felt about tax collectors, blood traders? 
The ones that would go and tax their own people for Rome? Even worse, this man worked for King Herod, who's not even a Jew. And he worked for him. And so this man is a dishonorable man. He is not honored by the Jews. He's, he's despicable to them. And yet, this despicable, dishonorable man, this dishonorable Jew, he's desperate. He's desperate. Why is he desperate? It says his son is at the point of death. His son is at home and at the point of death. And he hears that Jesus, he's heard of Jesus, he's heard of this miracle worker. That's all we understand that he knows. We don't know that he believes anything about Jesus, that he's the Messiah. He doesn't, there's no indication that he believes any of that. But he's heard that he's a miracle worker. And so in desperation, he seeks Jesus out. He hears that Jesus, back, he hears that Jesus is back in Galilee. And he seeks him out. In desperation. And that desperation is uh, a sad place to be. I, I remember when, when my brother was dying, the desperation that, that filled all of our hearts. You know, you seek for anything. You seek for anything that might work. And I don't know how many of you here tonight or, or online have experienced that feeling, that desperate that we'll do anything. We'll do anything to change it. And this royal official, this despised, you know, society may love him because he's royal. He works, he's, he's a royal official. He, he has a place and a stature. But society, his own society, his own people, the Jews, hated him. But he's desperate and he seeks out Jesus and he says, please come, come to my home. Come to my home and heal my son, right? I know you can work these miracles. Come to my home. He's about to die. And Jesus has uh, almost a shockingly negative response for what you'd expect, right? We're used to uh, the compassion that we see so often. And Jesus has it clearly. He clearly has compassion on this man, but he offers a rebuke. And I don't think there's any other way to see it because of the, the strength of Jesus' words. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. He's going back to that idea that, that there's a deeper faith to have even than signs. Even than seeing signs and miracles, there's a faith that's deeper than that. That believes, that has faith and trust. Here is one moment um, that the English language doesn't help us a lot, right? Because uh, if you know English grammar at all, the word you is both a second person singular and plural, right? We use it when we're talking to a group of people. Hey, you, or all of you, we still use you. Or a single person, hey, you. Jesus actually says in Greek a second person plural, right? In his response to this man, he says, unless all of you see signs, which is odd, which is an odd expression, right? He seems to be talking to this one man, and yet he addresses society as a large. He addresses Galilee. Unless you people, Galilee, see signs, 
you simply will not believe. See, that's what leads me to, con- to believe that that earlier part is still talking about Galilee. Because Jesus is saying, Galilee, even Galilee, where I'm from, won't believe unless they see signs. You simply will not believe unless you see signs. But I told you that desperation has him. That desperation has the royal official, and he, he can't let go. He's persistent. He's desperate, but he's persistent. He says, sir, please, come down before my child dies. Jesus says, go. Your son lives. Jesus offers the man the miracle that he's been seeking. Offered the man the miracle he's been seeking, but here's the thing. Does this man have the faith to take hold of it? I think we have to stop for a second and marvel at the faith that this man has. His son is dying. He's come all this way to meet Jesus so that he can bring Jesus back to his house to heal his son. And Jesus, at a word, says, your son is going to live. Go. I'll be real honest. For me, I don't think I would have gone. I would have stayed right there. Jesus, please, you, you don't understand. He's almost dead. Please, can you hurry? I need your touch. I need you to come and heal his body. Come, come quickly. This man accepts Jesus at his word. Think of the faith of that. Marvel at the faith of that. His son is dying, his son whom he loves. Jesus at a word says it's it's. It's okay. He's going he's gonna to live. And dismisses him. Go home. Test my word. And the man is willing to do it. I don't think I would be. I don't think I would be. I don't know if I have that faith. I hope I would have that faith. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off, started off to go home. And when he was going home, his slaves, his servants, met him and said that his son had gotten better. He's on the way home. He's walking off in faith. And on the way, his servants meet him and tell him, your son lives And so he has to know, right? He has to know. When? When did it happen? Right? That's that faith seeking more understanding, right? The man has faith, but he wants to confirm what he just, what just transpired. When? When did it happen? Well, yesterday at the seventh hour, which is about one o'clock. And the man knew that was just the moment when Jesus had said, your son lives. This is a second sign 
that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Calling back to the first sign you saw, remember, which is the wedding at Cana. The first sign of turning the water into wine, which also happened here in this exact spot. So we have to ask ourselves, what is going on here with all of these outcasts, with all of these hated figures coming to Jesus? Why is it? I told you the tragedy of it, right? The tragedy of it for Jesus. A miraculous healing, a wonderful miracle for his son, and yet a tragedy for Jesus. Why? Because the Jews reject their Messiah. And we see that throughout this whole Gospel of John, that the Jews continually, continually refuse his Messiahship. And yet even in the midst of the Jews rejecting their own Messiah, somehow the outcasts are finding life in him. The ones that no one thinks has a chance. The Samaritans. The ones who serve evil men like Herod are coming to have faith. And in this case it says, him and his whole household believe, right? In the Samaritan passage, it was the whole town came to believe. All of these outcasts and all of these miserables are hearing the message of Jesus and responding to a king who can actually walk among them, who actually cares about their plights, unlike Herod, who sits off in his palace alone with the, with the royal and elite not with the lowly in the common. And Jesus is so unlike any other king that he walks amongst the poor and the broken and the hated and the outcast. But it says that society, that his own country, gave Jesus no honor. A prophet has no honor in his own country in his hometown. So we have to think about the lessons of this story, and I think one thing that's interesting in this story is that the dishonorable, the dishonorable royal official does honor the prophet. It says his own country rejected him. In mass, right? The, the whole of Jewish society rejects Jesus. And yet the dishonorable, the royal official, the dishonorable honors the prophet. Dishonorable honors the prophet. We need to think about those concepts of honor and how we respond to both Jesus and people. Not just Jesus, but people as well. How do we honor them? Do we honor them? Or do we shame them? Or do we do the opposite of honor, right? Do, do, we, do we go out of our way to bring people down? To dishonor? To shame? I thought about this in the context of... Uh, 
family this week, actually. I thought of that, about this in the context of family. Is one of those things is that we just all recognize that family is such a, can be such a painful, tumultuous issue in relationships in a family. And I thought about this, um, like I told you in the other Gospels, it's speaking of Nazareth, that, that they reject Jesus. Right? His own neighbors, his own family even. Eventually they come to faith, but faith, but at first they reject him. Remember? And I was thinking about the fact that there is an honor in being willing to listen to the word of another and evaluate it and give it its due, right? And, and consider it even. Not to instantly reject, not to instantly say, that person's a fool, I don't have to listen to anything they say but that there's a place to evaluate and consider it. You know, it's like that saying, right? A, a broken <coughs> clock is right twice a day. Even the fool can give God's counsel from time to time. And it's so tragic to me that all these people who thought they were so familiar with Jesus missed who he was. In some ways, because of their familiarity, because that familiarity bred contempt for them. We know this man's parents. We know where he comes from. We know he's a carpenter. Why should we listen to anything this man says? And I think that often can be our heart in family. Right? I'm the baby. So, you know, I'm, all, I'm always the one who is like, never punished, you know, that, that's the, always the, the, the idea in the family, right, for the baby. They never got punished like we did. And I'm, I'm 11 and 13 years younger than my brother, so even more so, right? Like I'm the child of my parents' old age. <laughs> and it's just funny because, you know, the reality is that people can look down on someone and not really see what they are and not really see what they have to offer just because you know them so well. Or maybe it's someone you grew up with, you know? And and you're like, I remember that doofus, you know, like spray painting graffiti everywhere a decade ago or whatever. And somehow we, we can't get past those images that we've burned in our heads of, of who people are. And I think especially when it comes to family. And I was just so struck this week thinking about the tragedy of, the Jews missing Jesus that they had waited for all this time. And I, I just pray, I, we know that God's wisdom and his advice and his counsel can come through many different channels. And I just, I think it's good for us to have a reminder to, to be uh, aware, to be awake when God may be speaking to us, even through people we think we know better than. Even through people that we think might be a fool. Even through people that we might have contempt for. That he might be trying to speak to us. And we have to be aware of that. We have to be aware of that. And so I've, I've been checking my own heart this week. Is there people in my life where I, I would not be willing to listen to a word they might have or evaluate it when they could be speaking the very words of God to me? 
I think we all should do the same. I think we all should do the same. Keep our ears open and our eyes open to hear the voice of the Lord when it comes, because we don't want to miss it. Whatever it is, when the voice of the Lord speaks, you don't want to miss it. The Jews missed the greatest revelation in all of humanity. The Christ, their Messiah, and the Savior of the world came, and they missed it. And I pray that we, who have not missed Jesus' coming as Christians, I pray that as the Lord continues to speak to us, I pray that we wouldn't be ignorant enough to try and, and think we know better, or that we know enough, or that we have have reached the pinnacle of everything, right, of Christianity, of faith, and that we don't still need the voice of the Lord. We desperately need that voice. So be aware and be listening and keep our ears open to try and hear the voice of the Lord and, and not despise it if we hear it. And also um, be aware that he's trying to speak to us and that we listen for it and that we wouldn't miss it. And I think lastly, I think the lesson I thought of in this passage is we've got to give honor where honor is due. We've got to give honor where honor is due. We don't, as a society, and I say this particularly as Americans, we don't do good with honor. We don't do good with honor. I, I think we tend to elevate things and give a lot of honor to things that aren't that important, one, and two, I don't think we go out of our way to give honor generally because it doesn't mean to, much to us. Because we don't tend to have an honor and shame culture. And yet honor is so important. Honor is a community's lifting up, a community's blessing of a person. Right? Just like shame is a community's uh, despising or putting down of a person. Right? That's, it's, it's a communal response. And as a community, I don't think we just generally do well enough with lifting up people who have, have earned honor. I don't think we do enough with people who have earned honor. And I think we, um, we just don't do a good job with that. And yet, oddly, shame is coming back in a big way, right? Especially during this season. Social shame. Yeah. Shame is coming back, and, and we obviously have a lot to work through with that, too, as a, as a society. But we need to honor those who have earned honor and lift up those who have deserved it and, and make sure to go out of our way to give it, to tell them. Honor is a, a spoken or a lived-out reality. It's not something that is just uh, felt. It's not just like, well, I honor him because I feel nice about him in my heart. That's not honor. Honor is an experienced reality. It is a, a spoken reality. It's a we honor you. And I think we need to do better at that, too. I think we need to do better at that. So as I close tonight, I'm... I want to give you my blessing again uh, tonight. And remember that we all need to be seeking that voice of the Lord. Don't miss it. Don't miss the voice of the Lord. 
He's doing his work, just like Jesus. Just like Jesus in this passage. He is doing the Father's work even now. Let's be aware. Let's not miss it. And I guess I, I just thought of one more thing I want to say is this. Jesus says, no servant is greater than his master. Remember, he says that in John 13. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they hated me, they will hate you. And in this passage, if they dishonored me, they will dishonor you. Don't be surprised if the world dishonors Christians. Don't be surprised if you as a Christian are dishonored by the world. And sometimes dishonored by some well-meaning, or at least probably well-intentioned Christians who don't know better. It should not come a shock to be dishonored in this world, because our Lord was dishonored in his hometown, in his own country. We can expect the same. But as Christians, we need to do our part to honor people. So let me, let me bless you this evening. Lord, I pray that each person in this room would receive honor from you, like your son, who received glory and honor from the Father and was not concerned with the approval of men, I pray each person in here would receive honor from you, would receive the blessing and the, the hope and the lifting up and the edification of honor from you, Father. And would we not be dismayed, would we not be shocked, would we not be uh, deeply harmed by the dishonor the world heaps on us. Let us stand strong and stand faithful in the face of that shame and dishonor, knowing that you faced it first, Lord Jesus. Bless each person here this night. Thank you for each person here. And I honor them, Lord, because they are doing the work that you have set out for them in this world and in the Christian community. And I, I honor them for their long lives of serving you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for a life of service and all the people that are represented here. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.